Industrial Espionage, read and written by Isabel Cherry. Some time ago, my family disappeared and I thought I was coping well with it, but I wasn't. It took a long stay in the wretched Hollowstone prison for me to come to terms with my situation. The isolation and loneliness game gave me too much to, to think about. Often my mind would wander as I tried to make sense of the situation. Chapter 1 I am in the centre of a parched desert wearing a grotty orange jumpsuit, alone in my cell within the Hollowstone prison. And what I have done to deserve being here, I do not know. This thing makes me feel awkward, a horrible stench clinging to my skin like a pit viper fang. Will I ever get the shackles and odorous clothing off my rubbed raw skin? As I watch the tumbleweeds roll on out of my barred cell window, thinking to myself, what a dull world I barely live in. Sometimes I see myself as a lone tumbleweed, tumbling by wearily in this harsh world, not escaping from anything, just going with the flow. That wasn't me, but I guess now it is. Family is the most important thing to me. Thinking about them helps to keep me mentally balanced. I am worrying deeply. They must be too. A son should grow up with a dad. My son would, would be with his dad. A son needs a dad to comfort him and play rough and tumble. No, not my son. He's missing out on normality. I want to love and to be loved. That is my only dream here, but the guards ignore me. All I want is to feel like someone normal again. I feel like I'm in a fixed time zone. I try to scream, but it's like I'm in a soundproof room, drowning me out. Lonely is a huge understatement. I feel I have no heart or soul, extreme emotional pain too, but yet no happiness throughout my body. Pain is an emotion, but not in a sense to me. My body reacts differently to anyone that I know, although that can't be many people. Chapter 2. On this day, the sun was subtly touching my skin, but due to persistent dehydration, I began to hallucinate. It was the two of us, lounging about on our worn leather sofa in our rickety shack, watching the BBC One O'Clock News, which contained footage of Britain sustaining many sausages when being hit by artillery all night. Britain had not been under this kind of attack since the Blitz in World War II. While my son whizzed around the room, pretending to be the diver taking the footage that was on the news. It wasn't much. Those were the good old days, inklings of pleasure with my family. My hallucinations often take me to relive my past, but often I recall those jocund moments I get interrupted by the scraping sound of my dormitory security guard passing me the dog bowl of sloppy gruel. Scrape. It urges me to liken to the sound of bones being dragged along the empty cobbled streets while the wind gushes past. Chapter 3 I yearn to find my family and my home, but the question is, how? Oh, scrap that, I'm not thinking straight. Earlier, a fog rose from my abnormal brain, evaporated and left me with clarity. But now I am doubting myself, the fog gradually settled once again and rendered my mind a complete mess as if my head had been forced under water, eyes burning, like they were blurred too, and nothing was clear. Every thought was agony. My whole life is a lie, or is fake. It is reality, yet it, yet it is extremely confusing for me. The things that should flow through my mind kind of just pass by. 
It doesn't happen to most people. Why does it happen to me? Chapter 4 Days, maybe even weeks, had passed. I sat in my cell, sweating heavily. I know this feeling well. I began to drift off. Hallucinations gripped me once again. There's the FBI SWAT team. Outside a shack with my wife and son inside. Oh, there's me. That's my shack. No, what? My family were bundled into one of the waiting black vans. A separate van waited for me. I tried to resist, but they were too strong. There were too many of them. They drove me to the Hollowstone prison. Inside the Mac Black van, they were yelling at me that I was evicted. And my family were gone? Never to be seen again by me. I, I think they were trying to get in my head, but I mistakenly said that out loud. That wasn't the best thing I could have said, was it? This could be real, and I think it is. Is the memory a false premise, like everything else in my isolated world? Or is it real? Am I even real? For all I know, I could be an illusion, ready to disintegrate at any moment and crush my own soul. I couldn't believe that the FBA gave me in. They knew something that I didn't. Some sort of inside information about me or involving me. Chapter 5 As the alarm bell sounded, the bolted doors were unlocked. I watched hundreds of shackled men coming rushing out through the corridor to the courtyard like the rapids. I took the chance to escape from this craggy place as well. I could literally smell freedom a yard off. But no, the security guard sprinted down the hall and ordered me to stand down. I attempted to resist his clamp-like grasp, but he was determined not to release his grip, as if he were a lethal great white shark and he hadn't eaten for a lengthy period. Then he locked me up once again in the shackles in my grimy cell and whispered into my ear, Sorry, buddy. As he strutted down the grabby corridor, he muttered, Not sorry, you ignorant fool. He wasn't the guy I thought he was. He promised when I served my sentence, he would let me go. But no, he knew I had to go. I had business I wanted to deal with. He knew. He knew that I had stuff I wanted to achieve, discover, and find. But he let that all go for his petty job. I was dumbstruck when he said everything as a lie. He was the only glimmer of hope I had to escape from this place and be rid of the burden of being here. But no, he would let the police take me somewhere worse for all I cared. That, that couldn't be anywhere though. This was the worst. I was horror struck when he betrayed me. I couldn't believe it. Foolishly, I thought he was a good man, but I was mistaken. Chapter 6 Another hot day came, along with another hallucination. I had just finished high school, and I was not going to college. That was my decision. I was all in black, attempting to be undetected. There was one of my best friends from high school, also in black. We were skulking along the streets as teenagers do, heading to MI5 to examine the wrecks. I think we were checking if there were any gases left over from the explosion. But we weren't? We went into the decrepit remains and crept down to the restricted area. We went past the barricade and went down a 10-foot ladder until we reached a sewer and strolled along. A spine-chilling shiver ran down my back as I walked. Fear and guilt scurried all over me as the hair on the back of my neck pricked up. 
We ran very far past the guarded entrance for vehicles and slowed down the pace to an amble until we reached the base, where we took out two security guards and took their ID. We began at a walk, then picked up a faster pace and a greater momentum and led that into a sprint. We passed through the iron doors with their ID and remained undercover. Then we passed all of the info desks and burst into the artillery room and put an explosive timer for one minute. We ran for our lives, but the security guards we rendered unconscious came charging towards us. One grabbed my friend and I slid underneath, the other edging closer. As the military guards approached encircling me like a parliament of vultures, I saw an escape route under one of their legs, just like a nutmeg. I was in two minds, go back to save my friend and risk being found out, or escape and be a free man with fear but running from everything and everyone. I woke up out of the trance, sweating and breathing heavily, heart beating like a bass drum's beat, as if I was right there, right now. Chapter 7 A couple of weeks later, all the doors unbolted once again and I took my chance to escape, and it paid off. Once I had exited, I noted a matte crimson Ford pickup truck and I made a run for it. Then I heard a lady shout inside, Hey, jump in. I'll get you out of here. Reluctantly, I hopped in, but I'm glad I did. It felt like deja vu seeing her, but then I realised she was my first girlfriend before I married someone else. Chapter 8 it was the two of us back then. Sun was setting on the horizon, the sky a giant watercolour, all shades of orange, pink, red and yellow, crimsons everywhere. We were sitting on the bonnet of her Cadillac in Florida at the time. I was a free man. I had a girlfriend and a life. I didn't have a family yet, but I didn't need one because I had all I needed in my little cabin up on a hill with her. We were happy there, together, really close. Chapter nine. I am going to stay with her forever, move on from my past. It's been 20 or so years. My family have probably moved on. I still want them and I think I need them. But do I? Really? Their lives have changed and so has mine. I'm probably not the most important thing to them anymore, which is definitely sad. But despite that, I still draw a great amount of pleasure from her. She reminds me of her, my wife, and I can see my son prancing about in her eyes. Chapter 10 A couple of months later, a man came to our house, knocked on the door and showed me a diving mask, just like the one my son wore in the living room of my shack. I thought he was a detective telling me that my family were dead, but I realised he wasn't when he whispered, Hi, Dad. And I replied, hi, son, as tears of joy trickled down my cheek. The end. Thank you for listening to my story. What inspired me to use my story was that I was watched a lot of films about MI5, but I thought about maybe putting that into loneliness about losing his friend and having lost his family, but made a happy ending too.